Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. My name is Pastor Manley. I'm one of the pastors here at Celebration Church. And today, this week, we're gonna start a new sermon series as we continue teaching in the book of Exodus called The God Who Rescues Us. And today's sermon is titled, Being Rescued from Discouragement. Now, to recap a little bit of the history here where this story takes place, the Israelites have been enslaved and in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. They were multiplying and growing and being very successful and the Egyptians were concerned that soon enough they were gonna be able to overpower them and conquer the Egyptians. So the Egyptians decided to put them in bondage and slavery and had them making bricks. And they were crying out to God and in their crying out to God, God heard them. In Exodus chapter two, verse nine, the Lord speaks to Moses and he says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh, you must lead my people out of Egypt. And this has kind of been very well popularized by the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments, where Moses goes back to Pharaoh and he says, you need to let my people go. And in this story, it's so important for us to understand that the Lord had heard the people of Israel in the midst of their discouragement. He had heard their cries and he had plans to rescue them, plans to protect them, and plans to deliver them safely into the promised land. The problem with being in bondage, and this is any kind of bondage, whether you're physically enslaved to something or you're enslaved in a relationship or you're enslaved mentally or emotionally in any area of your life, if you're enslaved and in bondage financially, eventually what happens is you begin to feel overwhelmed and discouraged and that discouragement gives you the mindset and the idea that you cannot and you will never be truly free. And God was sending Moses to the people of Israel to save them from their discouragement, to save them from their bondage, and to tell them that indeed he intended to set them free. The Bible tells us whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. And today I'm going to cover a wide passage of scripture, Exodus, the end of chapter 4, chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6. And I want to kind of settle in on a verse in Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, that I feel like summarizes these three chapters of the Bible very well. It says, Moses told the people of Israel, this is Exodus 6, 9, what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Now, this bondage, this physical bondage of the Israelites, this enslaving of the Israelites was a prefiguring. It was a type, it was a picture. It was a foreshadowing to show the same way the Israelites were in bondage and enslaved in Egypt, every Christian today can struggle with being in bondage and enslaved to some sin or stronghold in their life. It's a prefiguring of the spiritual bondage that many Christians are ensnared and entrapped and enslaved with today. You know, I've discovered as a pastor for 20 years that when the devil can't defeat us and the devil can't destroy us, he'll just attempt to discourage us from living the fullness of the freedom God has called us to. John chapter 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief, which is the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they could have life and they could have it to the full. 
But what if you don't walk in the fullness of that life? What if you're not free to embrace that fullness? What if you're not free to possess that fullness of life? That is indeed what the Israelites were experiencing when they were in bondage in Egypt. My uh, oldest son is 16 years old, and he's in the process of uh, trying to get his driver's license right now. And in the state of Louisiana right now, you've got to take a 38-hour course. You've got to take 30 hours in the classroom and eight hours of driving. And he was so nervous to do his first two-hour session of driving. And he was so concerned that driving would be so difficult. And yesterday, he came back from the second day, and this morning, I was talking to him, and he said, Dad, I never realized how easy driving was. Well, guess what's happening? A couple of sessions in a driving, he's starting to realize that all his fears that had discouraged him indeed weren't true. He had courage. Now he's got the courage and the confidence to go driving. And the truth is to be successful in anything in life takes confidence and courage. And that's what God's trying to get us to see. In order for us to be successful in our walk with God, our spiritual life, our lives as Christians, we've got to have confidence and courage. And so today I want to talk, what does it take to overcome discouragement? What do we learn from this passage in Exodus about overcoming discouragement? The first thing it takes this, it takes understanding the sources of discouragement. Where does discouragement come from. It says in verse 9 here that the Israelites had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. See, the Israelites were more in bondage emotionally and mentally and spiritually than they were even physically. Yes, they were in bondage physically. Yes, they were enslaved physically, but the real enslavement took place in their mind. And you see this later on in the book of Numbers, because when it's time for them to enter the promised land, there's giants in the land, and they say to one another, well, there's giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we look like grasshoppers to them. In the same way, we've got to understand that many times the circumstances of our lives discourage us so much that they keep us from walking in the freedom and the fulfillment that God wants us to have. What do we see from this passage? We see that discouragement comes from feeling all alone. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, it says, The people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshiped. It's so telling that they were encouraged by Moses and Aaron because they began to believe that the Lord was concerned about them and the Lord had seen their misery. What does that tell us? It tells us that before Aaron and Moses showed up, they were overwhelmed by their misery. They felt like the Lord wasn't concerned about them. We need to constantly be reminded that the Lord is with us. The Lord's concerned about us and the Lord sees our pain. Too often we feel like nobody sees the misery, the struggle, the pain that we're in. Deuteronomy 31 says this, 31 chapter 6, verse 6 says this, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. So often in life, we begin to feel like we're just all alone. God doesn't care about us. He's not concerned for us. He's there with us. It doesn't even matter if you're in a big family or a large crowd of people. If you feel like the God of heaven doesn't see what you're going through, you'll begin to feel discouraged. And that's what Satan does. Satan comes along and says, man, you're all alone. 
God doesn't care about you. This is what he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he's not concerned about your well-being. And he says the same to us today. But we need to constantly be reminded that, no, God's with us. He cares about us. And we're not all alone. A second reason we begin to get discouraged is by experiencing cruel relationships. It says in Exodus 5 verse 7 that Pharaoh's response to Moses showing up saying, let my people go, is to say, you know what? We're going to make them uh, continue to make bricks, but we're not going to supply them straw any longer. We're going to make the people get it themselves. What Pharaoh did is he doubled down on his harshness to the Israelites. He said, oh, you want to be free? Oh, you want to be liberated? I'll tell you what, before we were supplying the straw for you to make the bricks. Now you got to go get it yourself. The thing about discouragement that I've learned is that discouragement often comes at the hands of those who are closest to us. It's the people that are most intimate to us that will treat us poorly, speak to us harshly, and even sometimes hurt us intentionally. The business partner who stabs us in the back, the spouse or the boyfriend or girlfriend who cheats on us, the person that was our closest friend that we find out is gossiping about us behind our back and talking bad about us, the family member who went behind us and tried to do something to damage us. Discouragement often comes at the hands of the people who are closest to us. Even Jesus. Jesus left heaven and came to earth to die for his people, which were the Israelites. That's who he came for first. He came for all of mankind, but the Bible says to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. But who was it that treated Jesus most harshly? It was his own people. In Mark 15, Pontius Pilate is trying to get them to let Jesus go. And so he says, I'll give you one prisoner. I'll either give you Jesus or this lifetime criminal Barabbas. And it says that the people responded, crucify him, crucify him. And eventually, it says that Pilate in Mark 15, 15, in order to pacify the crowd, he released Barabbas and he ordered Jesus to be flogged with a lead-tipped whip and he turned him over to the Roman soldiers indeed to crucify him. Imagine these people that Jesus came to die for, these people that Jesus had been so faithful to and came to love. These were the people that treated him the most cruelly. Jesus died a very cruel death. And in his death, in his suffering, we can share in that and begin to understand that Jesus knows that it's the people closest to us that often discourage us with the way that they treat us. A third way we uh, experience discouragement is when we have to manage unfair expectations says in Exodus 5.8 that Pharaoh said, despite the fact that we won't supply you with straw, let's still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. The people are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and offer sacrifices to God. You see, Moses had demanded that Pharaoh let the people go to go out into the wilderness to offer sacrifices and to worship the Lord. But Pharaoh said, you know what? I'm instead going to stop supplying you with straw, but you still got to meet the same demand I've put on you. Pharaoh demanded impossible deliverables, and the Israelites were discouraged by the consequences of their impending failure. Whenever we feel like we can't succeed at something in life, whenever we feel like we're destined for failure and that we're not going to have any success, that gives us an overwhelming sense of discouragement. 1 Peter 2.19 says, For God's pleased, when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. A fact of life is that we will be treated unfairly and unjustly and given expectations that we can't meet. At the same time, we've got to allow ourselves not to be so overwhelmed by the discouragement that comes from that. And one of the things that sets us up for this is knowing that it indeed will happen. 
And then the fourth way we experience discouragement is when we have to carry heavy burdens. Pharaoh said in chapter 5, verse 9, Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. You know, when we carry heavy burdens, eventually those burdens are going to wear us down. Anytime you have an overwhelming feeling in life, maybe you feel overwhelmed financially. The mortgage is a burden. The car payment is a burden. The tuition payment is a burden. Anytime you're trying to raise children and you feel burdened, anytime you show up at work and you feel like they're putting too much on your plate or the deadlines are too strict or it just seems like something that's overwhelming, we begin to feel discouraged. And when we feel discouraged by heavy burdens, we get weary. We get tired, we get overwhelmed, and we feel like giving up and quitting. Everybody knows what this feels like. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Whenever we've got a lot of burdens in life, when we're busy, when the bills are stacking up, when the finances get tight, when the work gets difficult, when the kids are going wild, anytime we feel overwhelmed, we're going to get weary. We're going to get tired. And when we get weary and tired, that's when we're most likely to succumb to discouragement. Let me ask you this question. What in your life have been the greatest sources of discouragement? What's discouraged you more than anything else? I really want you to think about that because once you know where the sources of discouragement are, it prepares you so much better to deal with them because you're not surprised or shocked or even wrestling or trying to deny them. The first thing we got to know is what are the sources of our discouragement? The second thing it takes to overcome discouragement is walking through the strain of discouragement. How overwhelming, how strenuous, how difficult does the discouragement become? And what are the unhealthy ways that we respond? Let's go back to Exodus 6-9, our key verse here. It says that Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore because they had become discouraged. The Israelites' discouragement eventually wore them down so much that they no longer listened to the Lord, they didn't trust His promises, they didn't trust His provision, and they didn't trust His protection. They actually started to behave in very unhealthy spiritual ways. They had a strained and a discouraged relationship with the Lord. You know, when we get discouraged, this is what we do. We start searching for solutions. And it says in Exodus 5, 11, and 12 that when Pharaoh told them to go out and get bricks for themselves, find it wherever they could, but that they had to produce just as many bricks as before. It says in verse 12, the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt in search of stubble to use is straw. What a great picture. They go out, they need straw, but all they can find is stubble. This is what happens to us. When we start to get discouraged in our relationship with the Lord and we pull away from Him, we start to look for solutions in something else. And no matter where we look for solutions at, it's just stubble. It's never enough. It doesn't produce what we need. It's never really satisfying or fulfillment. Or if it is satisfying, it only lasts for a short period of time. Sometimes it might be alcohol or drugs that we look to that's just stubble. Or sometimes people will get into a promiscuous lifestyle. Or sometimes we'll say, you know, I'm going to abandon ship. We'll quit a job or quit a relationship or leave a spouse or become unfaithful, whatever it might be. Sometimes we get really bad habits that we develop and we're out looking for solutions, but nothing will provide the answer that we're looking for. Another thing that discouragement causes us to do is it causes us to start battling or arguing against the accusations that come our way. In verse 17 of chapter 5, it says, The Pharaoh, his response to the people is, Man, y'all just lazy. 
Lazy. You're saying, let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord because you're lazy. Now, could you imagine this? The Pharaoh, who likely didn't work a hard day's work in his life, is telling people who he's enslaved, he's not even paying, that they're lazy. This is oftentimes what happens. The people had to deal with this accusation from the Pharaoh. And it's a prefiguring of the accusation that comes from the devil in our lives. Accusation is one of the primary tactics and characteristics of Satan and his oppression of humanity. Matter of fact, in the book of Job, it says that Satan came to the Lord and the Lord said, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm going through all the earth looking for somebody to accuse. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, it has come at last salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Accusing is the devil's characteristic. This is what he does. Accusation is anytime he comes and he starts name calling, he starts threatening, he begins to make you feel lesser of yourself. Think about Adam and Eve. They're deceived and manipulated in the Garden of Eden. And as soon as they eat that fruit, now the devil's accusing them. That's why they felt naked. All of a sudden now it's like, man, I can't believe you did that. What did you do? You should feel terrible about yourself. When I remember growing up watching Looney Tunes as a kid, there'd always be this cartoon and a little angel would show up on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. And that devil would always be tempting. But what the real devil does when he shows up on our shoulder is he starts accusing. After he tempts us and we fall short, then he says, man, I can't believe you did that. You lazy. Man, something wrong with you. You're the problem. And it just discourages us. And it puts us in this pit of despair. And we go, man, I can't get out of this anyway. And we abandon coming to God. Repentance is coming back to God. Sometimes you get so discouraged, you can't even repent because the accusation of the devil is like a cloud over our heads. And then the other thing that strains us as we get discouraged is we start looking to blame somebody else. In Exodus chapter 5, verses 20 to 23, it says, as they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron. May the Lord judge and punish you for making a stink before Pharaoh and his officials. And then Moses goes back to the Lord and he protests, why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you even send me? It's so interesting. When they come to Pharaoh and they say, man, we want to be let free. And the Pharaoh says no. And then he makes things harder and more difficult. The Israelites blame Aaron and Moses. And Aaron and Moses come back and blame the Lord. What a great picture. We're always trying to point the finger when we get discouraged. We always want it to be somebody else's fault. We always want to pin the blame on somebody. When we get oppressed by discouragement, it often leads us to shift our blame on others because we just want it to be somebody else's fault. Man, I got four kids. This is the constant game with the kids. They always want something to be somebody else's fault. The reason I didn't do this was because of this person. The reason I get my homework is because the teacher's terrible. The reason I failed in school is because the teacher didn't teach do a good job of teaching me. The reason why I didn't get the dishes done is because my brother did this. This person did it. It's always somebody else's fault. Man, when are you going to stop shifting blame and just saying, man, I, I'm willing to own up. I did a part of why I'm in this situation and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get free. When we get discouraged, that's when we often point blame. You know, every struggling team Every team that has difficulty winning, whether it's sports or any kind of competitive environment, when the team is struggling, you'll find a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame. People always on the worst team want to argue who's the best. 
when you get to the best team, nobody's arguing about who's the best. Everybody's just doing their part, owning up their part, not pointing the finger and not casting blame. We got to make sure that we stop blaming others when we find ourselves overwhelmed with discouragement, which leads me to my last point for today. If we really want to overcome discouragement, the third thing we got to do is we got to find the solution to discouragement. Let's go back to Exodus 6, 9. The first thing it says is, so Moses told the people what the Lord had said. Can I just tell you, the solution always starts with what the Lord has said. That's why it's so important for us to get in God's word, to know God's truth, to know what God says. Because what God has said is always what leads to encouragement in our life. You know, discouragement is conquered when we reflect on our past. Exodus 6, 2 and 3 God said to Moses, I'm Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. The first thing the Lord did when Moses came complaining to him is he took Moses back to Moses' own ancestors. Moses wasn't there for the life of Abraham. Moses wasn't there for the life of Isaac. Moses wasn't there for the life of Jacob. But the Lord was reminding Moses, man, y'all have been my people and I have been with you. Reflection reminds us of all that God has done for us. Check out this verse, Psalm 77, verses 5 and 6. I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and I ponder, what's the difference now? Man, when we get overwhelmed and in the pit of discouragement, one of the best things we can do is look back on our story and our lives and remind ourselves in our past of all that the Lord has done. Man, the Lord has done so many great things in my life, but I take them for granted. I kind of treat them uh, like Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? I always want to know, Lord, what have you done lately for me? What have you done this day, this week, this month? And I forget sometimes all the Lord has done. It's great to journal and to reflect and to look back on our past and remind ourselves of all that the Lord has done. We overcome discouragement by remembering God's promises. It says in Exodus 6, 4, the Lord said, I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the promised land, the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You know, God's promises have great power and they enable us to experience his glory and his goodness. But you got to know God's promises. The Bible is full of promises from the Lord. And when we get into his word and we memorize his word and we know his promises and we stand on his promises and we reassert constantly that he keeps his promises, it changes our lives. Look at this verse, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And because of God's glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. God's promises have great power, but we got to know them and stand on them. Then we got to acknowledge God's presence. This is Exodus 6, 5. Then the Lord says, you can be sure I've heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. I'm well aware of my covenant with them. The reality is God's presence is what really provides satisfaction. What we always do is we forget God's presence, we ne neglect God's presence, we undervalue God's presence, and we overvalue the world's possessions. We chase after what the world has to offer, thinking that it's gonna satisfy. This is why every time the lottery gets over 300 million, people come out the wazoo to play it. 
because they think, man, if I got that, that would change my life. That would satisfy me. The reality is, if you won the Powerball and you didn't have the Lord's presence, you wouldn't be satisfied. And if all you had was the Lord's presence, no matter what you had, you'd be satisfied. I've experienced this going on mission trips. You walk into a third world country and you see a person with nothing but the Lord's presence and they seem to be feeling a whole lot happier and full of joy than you are with all of your air conditioning and your power steering and your good life and your nice tennis shoes and your purses and all the things that you got. Yet here's a person with just God's presence fully satisfied. Hebrews 13, five, don't love money, and be satisfied with what you have. Because God said, I'll never leave you, I'll never abandon you. When you remember the Lord is with you, and the Lord's concerned for you, and he's well aware, and he's heard your groans, and the Lord is with you in the midst of everything, that's when you really begin to get encouraged, and you go, man, if all I got's the Lord, I'm straight, that's all I need. Here's a fourth thing, it takes experience in God's power. It says in Exodus 6, 6 that the Lord says, I want you to say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I'll free you from your oppression and I'll rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I'll redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. You know, it's amazing. Nothing encourages us like the Lord showing up in a powerful way. Not that long ago, I had a person I love dearly and have spent many days with and um, they were gonna be facing a surgery. And I went to go visit them and I'd been praying for a long time that they would surrender their life to Jesus, repent of their sins and ask God to save them. And I had a real particularly difficult month and I was real discouraged. And I went in and I talked with them and had a real genuine conversation. And they said to me at the end of the conversation that they wanted to surrender their life to Jesus. And we prayed right there over tears that they would give their life to Christ and commit their life to him. Man, I tell you, when that happened and I saw God's power show up in that supernatural way, I walked out of that place on cloud nine. Best day I ever had. I felt so encouraged and full of joy. And that's what happens anytime you encounter and you see God's powerful hand show up. When you see God's power at work, it encourages you. You know, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. I've heard that verse preached a lot of times. Man, look at what the apostles did. They devoted themselves to the Lord's teaching. They, I mean, to, to the apostles' teaching, the early Christians. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to sharing meals and the Lord's Supper and the prayer. But we often neglect what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The verse just before, it says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Could you imagine what it must have felt like to be there on the day of Peter's first sermon? And at the end of the first sermon, 3,000 people said, we want to give our lives to Jesus and got baptized. You know how long it takes to baptize 3,000 people? It probably took them a full day just to baptize everybody. And when they were finished, the people were on cloud nine. And because they were so overwhelmed and encouraged by seeing God's power, that's what led them to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the sharing meals and the giving to one another and the generosity and the prayer. You get so encouraged when you see God doing powerful things. And then the last thing is this. In order to conquer discouragement, it takes walking in our possession. It says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 8, that the Lord's final words to Moses, encouraging him, was, I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give it to you, 
is your very own possession. I am the Lord. You know, when I read that word possession, it jumped out at me. We talk a lot about people being possessed by the devil, but we don't talk a lot about people being possessed by the Lord or about us walking in what the Lord has said we should possess. I realized something. We can possess something that doesn't belong to us, meaning we have it in our possession, but it's not ours. Well, if you can possess something that doesn't belong to you, then that means that the counter is true as well. We can fail to possess something that does belong to us. The promised land belonged to the people of Israel, but they hadn't possessed it. And for us, we need to understand that God's promises for us, the place God wants us to end up, that's something that belongs to us, but we have to possess it. Deuteronomy 5 verse 33 says this, Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. When we get encouraged, all of a sudden we start walking in confidence, believing in God's promises, believing we're headed for his promised land, believing he hears our cries, encouraged to know his presence is with us. He will fulfill his promises and we will possess the life that God has called us to. At the end of this Exodus chapter 6, verse 9 verse that I've been focusing on today, it says that the Lord said to Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. And you know what Moses' response is? But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me. How can I expect the Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. I wanna focus on that phrase, but Lord, Moses objected. When God directs his people, the discouraged disciple says, but Lord, but the faithful disciple says, yes, Lord. Moses is a great example of what to be in many areas of his life. In this one instance, he's a great example of what not to be. When you're overwhelmed by discouragement and the Lord calls you to obey, your response is, but Lord. But when you're walking in encouragement and you're walking in freedom and you're walking in what God wants you to walk in, and he says, I want you to do this. Your response isn't, but Lord. Your response is, yes, Lord. For I know you are with me. You go before me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you walk in that confidence and you walk in that encouragement, you experience and encounter great things knowing that God is with you God is for you and God goes before you. I pray that today you would walk in this encouragement. Heavenly Father, I lift up every person here in this. I pray that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of encouragement, would travel through these internet waves and wash over them, giving them the strength and the courage and the confidence to believe in you. We have confidence not because of who we are, we have confidence because of who you are, that you are faithful to your promises and that you will work through us in every step of our lives. Lead us to your promised land for us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.